Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 7. At 4.45, Prince Humperdinck summoned Yellen to his chambers. Yellen came immediately, though he dreaded what was, he knew, about to happen. As a matter of fact... Yellen already had his resignation written and in an envelope in his pocket. Your Highness, Yellen began. Report, Prince Humperdinck said. He was just brilliantly in white, his wedding costume. He's still like a mighty barrel, but brighter. All of your wishes have been carried out, Highness. Personally, I have attended to each detail. He was very tired, Yellen was, and his nerves long past frayed. Specify, said the Prince. He was 75 minutes away from his first female murder, and he wondered if he could get his fingers to her throat before even the start of a scream. He had been practicing on giant sausages all the afternoon and had the movement down pretty pat, but then giant sausages weren't next, and all the wishing in the world probably wouldn't make them so. All passages to the castle itself have been resealed this very moment, save the main gate. That is now the only way in, and the only way out. I had changed the lock to the main gate. There's only one key to the new lock, and I keep it wherever I am. When I'm outside with the 100 troops, the key is in the outside lock, and no one can leave the castle from the inside. When I'm with you, as I am now, the key is in the inside lock, and no one may enter from the outside. Follow, said the prince, and he moved to the large window of his chamber. He pointed outside. Below the window was a lovely planted garden. Beyond that, the prince's private stables. Beyond that, naturally, the outside castle wall. That is how they will come, he said. Over the wall, through my stables, past my garden, to my windows, throttle the queen, and back the way they came before we know it. They? Yellen said, though he knew the answer. The Gildarians, of course. But the wall you suggest is the highest wall surrounding all Florin Castle. It's 50 feet high at that point, so that would seem the least likely point of attack. He was trying desperately to keep himself under control. All the more reason why they should choose this spot. Besides, the world knows that the Gildarians are unsurpassed as climbers. Yellen had never heard that. He had always thought the Swiss were the ones who were unsurpassed as climbers. Highness, he said in one last attempt. I have not yet, from a single spy, heard a single word about a single plot against the princess. I have it on unimpeachable authority that there will be an attempt made to strangle the princess this very night. In that case, Yellen said, and he dropped to one knee and held out the envelope. I must resign. It was a difficult decision. The Yellens had headed enforcement in Florence for generations, and they took their work more than seriously. I'm not doing a capable job, sire. Please forgive me and believe me when I say my failures were those of the mind and body and not of the heart. Prince Humperdinck found himself, quite seriously, in a genuine pickle, for once the war was finished, he needed someone to stay in Gilder and run it, since he couldn't be in two places at once, and the only men he trusted were Yellen and the Count. And the Count would never take the job, being obsessed, as he was these days, with finishing his stupid pain primer. I do not accept your resignation. You're doing a capable job. There is no plot. 
I shall slaughter the queen myself this very evening. You shall run Gilder for me after the war. Now get back on your feet. Yellen didn't know what to say. Thank you seemed so inadequate, but it was all he could come up with. Once the wedding is done with, I shall send her here to make ready while I shall, with boots carefully procured in advance, make tracks leading from the wall to the bedroom and returning then from the bedroom to the wall. Since you are in charge of law enforcement, I expect you will not take long to verify my fears that the prince can only be made by the boots of Gildarian soldiers. Once we have that, we'll need a royal proclamation or two. My father can resign as being unfit for battle, and you, dear Yellen, will soon be living in Gilder Castle. Yellen knew a dismissal speech when he heard one. I leave with no thought in my heart but to serve you. Thank you, Humperdinck said. Please, because, after all, loyalty was the one thing you couldn't buy. And in that mood, he said to Yellen by the door, Oh, and if you see the albino, tell him he may stand in the back for my wedding. It's quite all right with me. I will, Highness, Yellen said, adding, But I don't know where my cousin is. I went looking for him less than an hour ago, and he was nowhere to be found. The prince understood important news when he heard it, because he wasn't the greatest hunter in the world for nothing, and, even more, because if there was one thing you could say about the albino, it was that he was always to be found. My God, you don't suppose there is a plot, do you? It is a perfect time. The country celebrates. If Gilda were about to be 500 years old, I'd know I'd attack them. I will rush to the gate and fight. To the death if necessary, Yellen said. Good man, the prince called after him. If there was an attack, it would come at the busiest time, during the wedding, so he would have to move that up. State affairs went slowly, but still, he had authority. Six o'clock was out. He would be married no later than half past five, or know the reason why. At five o'clock, Max and Valerie were in the basement sipping coffee. You better get right to bed, Valerie said. You look all troubled. You can't stay up all night as if you were a pup. I'm not tired, Max said. But you're right about the other. Tell Mama, Valerie crossed to him, stroked where his hair had been. It's just I've been remembering about the pill. It was a beautiful pill, honey. Feel proud. I think I messed up the amount, though. Didn't they want an hour? When I doubled the recipe, I didn't do enough. I don't think it'll work over 40 minutes. Valerie moved into his lap. Let's be honest with each other. Sure, you're a genius, but even a genius gets rusty. You are three years out of practice. Forty minutes will be plenty. I suppose you're right. Anyway, what can we do about it? Down is down. The pressures you've been under, if it works at all, it'll be a miracle. Max had to agree with her. A phantasmagoria, he nodded. The man in black was nearly stiff when Fezzik reached the wall. It was almost five o'clock, and Fezzik had been carrying the corpse the whole way from Miracle Max's, back street to back street, alleyway to alleyway, and it was one of the hardest things he'd ever done. Not taxing. He wasn't even winded. But if the pill was just what it looked like, a chocolate lump, then he, Fezzik, was going to have a lifetime of bad dreams of bodies growing stiff between his fingers. When he was at last in the wall shadow, he said to Inigo, What now? We've got to see if it's still safe. There might be a trap waiting. It was the same part of the wall that led, shortly, to the zoo in the farther corners of the castle grounds. But if the albino's body had been discovered, then who knew what was waiting for them? Should I go up then? Fezzik asked. 
We'll both do it, Inigo replied. Lean him against the wall and help me. Fezzik tilted the man in black so he was no longer in danger of falling and waited while Inigo jumped onto his shoulders. Then Fezzik did the climbing. Any crack in the wall was enough for his fingers. The least imperfection was all he needed. He climbed quickly, familiar with it now, and after a moment, Inigo was able to grab hold of the top and say, All right, go on back down. So Fezzik returned to the man in black and waited. Inigo crept along the wall top in dead silence. Far across, he could see the castle entrance and the armed soldiers flanking it. And closer at hand was the zoo. And off in the deepest brush of the farthest corner of the wall, he could make out the still body of the albino. Nothing had changed at all. They were, at least so far, safe. He gestured down to Fezzik, who scissored the man in black between his legs, and began the arm climb noiselessly. When they were all together on the wall top, Anigo stretched out the dead man and then hurried along until he could get a better view of the main gate. The walk from the outer wall to the main castle gate was slanted slightly down. Not much of an incline, but a steady one. There must be, Anigo did a quick count, at least a hundred men standing at the ready. And the time must be, he estimated closely, five after five now, perhaps close to ten. Fifty minutes until the wedding. Anigo turned then and hurried back to Fezzik. I think we should give him the pill, he said. It must be around 45 minutes till the ceremony. That means he only has 15 minutes to escape with, Fezzik said. I think we should wait until at least 5.30. Half before, half after. No, Anigo said. We're going to stop the wedding before it happens. That's the best way, at least to my mind. Before they're all set. In the hustle and bustle beforehand, that's when we should strike. Fezzik had no further rebuttal. Anyway, Inigo said, we don't know how long it takes to swallow something like this. I could never get it down myself, I know that. We'll have to force feed him, Inigo said, unwrapping the chocolate-covered lump. Like a stuffed goose. Put our hands around his neck and kind of push it down into whatever comes next. I'm with you, Inigo, Fezzik said. Just tell me what to do. Let's get him in a sitting position, I think, don't you? Always find it's easier swallowing sitting up than lying down. We'll have to really work at it, Fezzik said. He's completely stiff by now. I don't think he'll bend easy at all. You can make him, Anigo said. I always have confidence in you, Fezzik. Thank you, Fezzik said. Just don't ever leave me alone. He pulled the corpse between them and tried to make him bend in half, but the man in black was so stiff, Fezzik really had to perspire to get him at the right angle. How long do you think we'll have to wait before we know if the miracle's on or not? Your guess is as good as mine, Anigo said. Get his mouth as wide open as you can and tilt his head back a little and we'll just drop it in and see. Fezzik worked at the dead man's mouth a while, got it the way Anigo said, tilted the neck perfect the first time, and Anigo knelt directly above the cavity, dropped the pill down, and as it hit the throat, he heard, Couldn't beat me alone, you dastards. Well, I beat you each apart. I'll beat you both together. You're alive, Fezzik cried. The man in black sat immobile, like a ventriloquist dummy, just his mouth moving. That is perhaps the most childishly obvious remark I have ever come across. But what can you expect from a strangler? Why won't my arms move? You've been dead, Inigo explained. And we're not strangling you, Fezzik explained. We were just getting the pill down. The resurrection pill, Inigo explained. I bought it from Miracle Max and it worked for 60 minutes. What happens after 60 minutes? 
do I die again? It wasn't 60 minutes. He just thought it was. Actually, it was only 40. Only they had used up one in conversation already. So now it was down to 39. We don't know. Probably you just collapse and need tending for a year or however long it takes to get your strength back. I wish I could remember what it was like when I was dead, the man in black said. I'd write it all down. I could make a fortune on a book like that. I can't move my legs either. That will come. It's supposed to. Max said the tongue and the brain were shoo-ins, and probably you'll be able to move, but slowly. The last thing I remember was dying, so I'm on this wall. Are we enemies? Have you got names? I'm the Dread Pirate Roberts, but you can call me Wesley. Fezzik. Anigo Montoya of Spain. Let me tell you what's been going on. He stopped and shook his head. No, he said. There's too much. It will take too long. Let me distill it for you. The wedding's at six, which leaves us probably now something over half an hour to get in, steal the girl, and get out. But not before I kill Count Rugen. What are our liabilities? There's but one working castle gate, and it's guarded by perhaps a hundred men. Hmm, Wesley said, not as unhappy as he might have been ordinarily, because just then, he began to be able to wiggle his toes. And our assets? Your brains, physical strength, my steel. Wesley stopped wiggling his toes. That's all? That's it? Everything? The grand total? Anigo tried to explain. We've been operating under a terrible time pressure from the very beginning. Just yesterday morning, for example, I was a hopeless drunk and Fezzik toiled for the brute squad. It's impossible, Wesley cried. I am Anigo Montoya and I do not accept defeat. You will think of something. I have complete confidence in you. She's going to marry Humperdinck and I'm helpless, Wesley said in blind despair. Lay me down again. Leave me alone. You're giving in too easily. We fought monsters to reach you. We risked everything because you have the brains to conquer problems. I have complete and total confidence in you that... I want to die, Wesley whispered, and he closed his eyes. If I had a month to plan, maybe I might come up with something, but this... His head rocked from side to side. I'm sorry. Leave me. You just moved your own head, Fezzik said, doing his best to be cheery. Doesn't that up your spirits? My brains, your strength, and his steel against a hundred troops? And you think a little head jiggle is supposed to make me happy? Why didn't you leave me to death? This is worse. Lying here helpless while my true love marries my murderer. I just know once you're over your emotional outbursts, you'll come up with... I mean, if we even had a wheelbarrow, that would be something, Wesley said. Where do we put that wheelbarrow the albino had? Anigo asked. Over by the albino, I think, Fezzik replied. Maybe we can get a wheelbarrow, Anigo said. Well, why didn't you list that amongst our assets in the first place? Wesley said, sitting up, staring out at the massed troops in the distance. You just sat up, Fezzik said, still trying to be cheery. Wesley continued to stare at the troops in the incline heading down towards them. He shook his head. What I give for a Holocaust cloak, he said then. There we can't help you, Anigo said. Will this do? Fezzik wondered, pulling out his Holocaust cloak. Where? Anigo began. While you were at the frog dust, Fezzik answered. If it's so nicely, I just tucked it away and kept it. Wesley got to his feet then. All right, I'll need a sword eventually. Why? Anigo asked. You could barely lift one. 
True, Wesley agreed, but that's hardly common knowledge. Hear me now, there may be problems once we're inside. I'll say there may be problems, Inigo cut in. How do we stop the wedding? Once we do, how do I find the Count? Once I do, where will I find you again? Once we're together, how do we escape? Once we escape... Don't pester him with so many questions, Fezzik said. Take it easy, he's been dead. Right, right, sorry, Inigo said. The man in black was moving very slowly now along the top of the wall, by himself. Fezzik and Inigo followed him throughout the darkness in the direction of the wheelbarrow. There was no denying the fact that there was a certain excitement in the air. Buttercup, for her part, felt no excitement whatsoever. She had, in fact, never remembered such a wonderful feeling of calm. Her Wesley was coming. That was her world. Ever since the prince had dragged her to her room, she had spent the intervening hours thinking of ways to make Wesley happy. There was no way he could miss stopping her wedding. That was the only thought that could survive the trip across her conscious mind. So when she heard the wedding was to be moved up, she wasn't the least upset. Wesley was always prepared for contingencies, and if he could rescue her at six, he could just as happily rescue her at half past five. Actually, Prince Humperdinck got things going even faster than he had hoped. It was 5.23 when he and his bride-to-be were kneeling before the aged Archdean of Florin. It was 5.24 when the Archdean started to speak. And 5.25 when the screaming started outside the main gate. Buttercup only smiled softly. Here comes my Wesley now, was all she thought. It was not, in point of fact, her Wesley that was causing the commotion out front. Wesley was doing all he could to simply walk straight down the incline towards the main gate without help. Ahead of him, Anigo struggled with the heavy wheelbarrow. The reason for its weight was that Fezzik stood in it, arms wide, eyes blazing, voice booming in terrible rage. I am the dread pirate Roberts and there will be no survivors. He said that over and over, his voice echoing and reverberating as his rage increased. He was, standing there, gliding down through the darkness, quite an imposing figure, seeming, all in all, probably close to ten feet tall with a voice to match, but even that was not the cause of the screaming. Yellen, from his position by the gate, was reasonably upset by the roaring giant gliding down towards him through the darkness. Not that he doubted his hundred men could dispatch the giant. The upsetting thing was that, of course, the giant would be aware of that too. And logically, there must be somewhere out in the dimness any number of giant helpers. Other pirates. Anything. Who could tell? Still, his men held together remarkably staunchly. It was only when the giant got halfway down the incline that he suddenly, happily, burst into flame and continued his trip saying, No survivors! No survivors! In a manner that could only indicate deadly sincerity. It was seeing him happily burning and advancing that started the brute squad to screaming. And once that happened, why, everybody panicked and ran. Chapter 8. Honeymoon Once the panic was well underway, Yellen realized he had next to no chance of bringing things immediately under control. Besides, the giant was terribly close now, and the roar of no survivors made it very hard to do any solid thinking. But fortunately, he had the sense to grab the one and only key to the castle and hide it on his person. Fortunately, too, Wesley had the sense to look for such behavior. Give me the key, Wesley said to Yellen, once Inigo had his sword securely pressuring Yellen's Adam's apple. 
I have no key, Yellen replied. I swear it on the grave of my parents. May my mother's soul forever sizzle in torment if I'm lying. Tear his arms off, Wesley said to Fezzik, who was sizzling a bit himself now, because there was a limit as to just how long a Holocaust cloak was really good for, and he wanted to strip a bit, but before he did that, he reached for Yellen's arms. This key, you mean? Yellen said, and he dropped it, and after Inigo had taken his sword, they let him run away. Open the gate, Wesley said to Fezzik. I'm so hot, Fezzik said. Can I please take this thing off first? And after Wesley's nod, he pulled the flaming cloak away and left it on the ground. Then unlocked the gate and pulled the door open enough for them to slip through. Lock it and keep the key, Fezzik, Wesley said. It must be after 5.30 by now. Half an hour left to stop the wedding. What do we do after we win, Fezzik said, working with the key, forcing the great lock to close. Where should we meet? I'm the kind of fellow who needs instructions. Before Wesley could answer, Anigo cried out and readied his sword. Count Rugen and four palace guards were rounding a corner and running towards them. The time was then 5.34. The wedding itself did not end until 5.31, and Humperdinck had to use all of his persuasive abilities to get even that much accomplished. As the screaming from outside the gate burst all bounds of propriety, the prince interrupted the archdean with the gentlest manner and said, Holiness, my love is simply overpowering my ability to wait. Please skip on down to the end of the service. The time was then 527. Humperdinck and Buttercup, the archdean said, I am very old and my thoughts on marriage are few, but I feel I must give them to you on this most happy of days. The Archdean could hear absolutely nothing, and had been so afflicted since he was 85 or so. The only actual change that had come over him in the past years was that, for some reason, his impediment had gotten worse. Marriage, he said. Very old. Unless you pay strict attention to his title and past accomplishments, it was very hard to take him seriously. Marriage, the Archdean began. Again, holiness, I interrupt in the name of love. Please hurry along as best you can to the end. Marriage is a dream within dream. Buttercup was paying little attention to the going-ons. Wesley must be racing down the corridors now. He always ran so beautifully. Even back on the farm, long before she knew her heart, it was good to watch him run. Count Rugen was the only other person in the room and the commotion at the gate had him on edge. Outside the door, he had his four best swordsmen, so no one could enter the tiny chapel, but still, there were a lot of people screaming where the brute squad should have been. The four guards were the only ones left inside the castle, for the prince needed no spectators to the events that were soon to happen. If only the idiot cleric would speed things along. It was already 529. The dream of love wrapped within the greater dream of everlasting west. Eternity is our friend. Remember that, and love will follow you forever. It was 5.30 when the prince stood up and approached the archdean firmly. Man and wife, he shouted. Man and wife, say that. I'm not there yet, the archdean answered. You just arrived, the prince replied. Now. Buttercup could picture Wesley rounding the final corner. There were four guards outside waiting. At ten seconds per guard, she began figuring, but then stopped because numbers had always been her enemy.
She looked down at her hands. Oh, I hope he still thinks I'm pretty, she thought. Those nightmares took a lot out of me. Man and wife, your man and wife, the archdeem said. Thank you, holiness, the prince said, rolling towards Rugen. Stop that commotion, he commanded, and before his words were finished, the count was running for the chapel door. It was 531. It took a full three minutes for the count and the guards to reach the gate, and when they did, the count could not believe it. He had seen Wesley killed, and now there was Wesley, and with a giant and a strangely scarred swarthy fellow. Something about the twin scars banked deep into his memory, but now was not the time for reminiscing. Kill them, he said to the fencers, but leave the middle-sized one until I tell you. And the four guards drew their swords, but too late. Too late and too slow, because as Fezzik moved in front of Wesley, an eagle attacked, the great blade blinding, and the fourth guard was dead before the first one had sufficient time to hit the floor. Anigo stood still for a moment, panting. Then he made a half turn in the direction of Count Rugen and executed a quick and well-formed bow. Hello, he said. My name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And in return, the Count did a genuinely remarkable and unexpected thing. He turned and ran. It was now 537. King Lutheran and Queen Bella arrived at the wedding chapel in time to see Count Rugen leading the four guards in the charge down the corridor. Are we too early? Queen Bella said, as I entered the wedding chapel and found Buttercup and Humperdinck and the Archdean. There's much going on, the prince said. All in due time will come matchlessly clear. But I fear that there's a strong possibility that, at this very moment, the Gildarians are attacking. I need time alone in the garden to formulate my battle plans. So could I prevail upon you two to personally escort Buttercup to my bedchamber? His request was, naturally, granted. The prince hurried off then, and, after one stop to unlock a closet and remove several pairs of boots that had once belonged to Gildarian soldiers, he hurried outside. Buttercup, for her part, walked very slowly and peacefully between the old king and queen. There was no need ever to worry. Not with Wesley there to stop her wedding and take her away forever. The truth of her situation did not take genuine effect until she was halfway to Humperdinck's room. There was no Wesley. No sweet Wesley. He had not seen fit to come for her. She gave a terrible sigh. Not so much a sadness as a farewell. Once she got to Humperdinck's room, it would all be done. He had a splendid selection of swords and cutlery. She had never seriously contemplated suicide before. Oh, of course she thought about it. Everyone does from time to time, but never seriously. To her quiet surprise, she found it was going to be the easiest thing in the world. She reached the prince's chambers, said goodnight to the royal family, and went directly to the wall display of weaponry. The time was then 5.46. Anigo at 5.37, was so startled at the Count's cowardice that for a moment he simply stood there. Then he gave chase, and, of course, he was faster, but the Count made it through a doorway, slammed and locked it, and Inigo was helpless to budge the thing. Fezzik! He called out desperately. Fezzik, break it down! Break it down! <laughs> if y'all haven't seen, it's all show. Never mind. But Fezzik was a Wesley. That was his job, to stay and protect Wesley. And though they were still within view of Inigo, 
Fezzik could do nothing. Wesley had already started to walk, slowly, weakly, but he was under his own power, walking. Charge it, Fezzik replied. Slam your shoulder hard. It'll give for you. Anigo charged the door. He slammed and slammed his shoulder, but he was thin, and the door otherwise. He's getting away from me, Anigo said. But Wesley is helpless, Fezzik reminded him. Fezzik, I need you, Anigo screamed. I'll only be a minute, Fezzik said, because there are some things you did, no matter what, and when a friend needed help, you helped him. Wesley nodded, kept on walking, still slowly, still weak, but still able to move. Hurry, Anigo urged. Fezzik hurried. He lumbered to the locked door, threw his bulk against it. The door held. Please, Anigo urged. I'll get it, I'll get it, Fezzik promised, and he took a few steps back this time, then drove his shoulder against the wood. The door gave some, a little, but not enough. Fezzik backed away from it now. With a roar, he charged across the corridor, and when he was close, he left the castle floor with both feet, and the door splintered. Thank you, thank you, Anigo said, already halfway through a broken door. What do I do now, though, Fezzik called. Back to Wesley, Anigo answered, in full flight now, beginning chasing through a series of rooms. Stupid, Fezzik punished himself with, and he turned to rejoin Wesley. Only Wesley was no longer there. Fezzik could feel the panic starting inside him. There was a half a dozen possible corridors. Which, 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 Fezzik said, trying to figure it out, trying for once in his life to do something right. You'll pick the wrong one knowing you, he said out loud. And then he took a corridor and started hurrying along it as fast as he could. He did pick the wrong one. Wesley was alone now. Anigo was gaining. He could see, instant to instant, flashes of the fleeing noble in the next room. And when he reached that place, the Count would have made it to the room beyond. But each time, Anigo was gaining. At 5.40, he felt confident he would, after a chase of 25 years, be alone in the room with his revenge. By 5.48, Buttercup felt quite sure she would be dead. It was still a minute before that as she stood staring at the prince's knives. The most lethal looked to be the most used, the Florinese dagger. Pointed at one end, it entered easily, growing into a triangular shape by the hilt. For quicker bleeding, it was said. They were made in various sizes, and the prince's looked to be one of the largest, being wrist thick where it joined the handle. She pulled it from the wall put it to her heart. There are always too few perfect breasts in the world. Leave yours alone, she heard, and there was Wesley on the bed. It was 548, and she knew that she would never die. Wesley, for his part, assumed he had until 615 for his hour to be up. That was, of course, when an hour was up, only he didn't have an hour, only 40 minutes. Till 555, actually. Seven minutes more. But, as has been said, he had no way of knowing that. And Anigo had no way of knowing that Count Rugen had a Florinese dagger, or that he was an expert with the thing. It took Anigo until 5.41 before he actually cornered the Count in a billiard room. Hello. He was about to say, My name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. What he actually got out was somewhat less. Hello. My name is Anigo. And that was when the dagger rearranged his insides. The force of the throw sent him staggering backwards into the wall. 
The rush of the blood weakened him so quickly he could not keep his feet. Domingo, Domingo, he whispered, and then he was, at 42 minutes after 5, lost on his knees. Buttercup was baffled by Wesley's behavior. She rushed to him, expecting to be met halfway in a wild embrace. Instead, he only smiled at her and remained where he was, lying on the prince's pillows, a sword beside his body. Buttercup continued the journey alone and fell onto her very one and darling Wesley. Gently, he said. At a time like this, that's all you could think to say? Gently? Gently, Wesley repeated, not so gently this time. She got off him. Are you angry at me for getting married? She wondered. You're not married, he said softly. Strange his voice was. Not in my church or any other. But this old man did pronounce. Widows happen. Every day, don't they, your highness? And now his voice was stronger as he addressed the prince, who entered, muddy boots in hand. Prince Humperdinck dove for his weapons, and a sword flashed in his thick hands. To the death, he said, advancing. Wesley gave a soft shake of his head. No, he corrected. To the pain. It was an odd phrase, and for the moment it brought the prince up short. Besides, why was the fellow just lying there? Where was the trap? I don't think I quite understand that. Wesley lay without moving, but he was smiling more deeply now. I'll be only too delighted to explain. It was 5.50 now. 25 minutes of safety left. There were five. He didn't know that. How could he know that? Slowly, carefully, he began to talk. Anigo was talking too. It was 5.42 when he whispered, I'm... Sorry, Father. Count Rugen heard the words, but nothing really connected until he saw the sword still held in Anigo's hand. You're that little Spanish brat I taught a lesson to, he said, coming closer now, examining the scars. It's simply incredible. Have you been chasing me all these years only to fail now? I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard of. How marvelous. Anigo could say nothing. The blood fauceted from his stomach. Count Rugen drew a sword. Sorry, father. I'm sorry. I don't want your sorry. My name is Domingo Montoya and I died for that sword and you can keep your sorry. If you were going to fail, why didn't you die years ago and let me rest in peace? And then McPherson was after him too. Spaniards. I never should have tried to teach a Spaniard. They forget. What do you do with a wound? How many times did I teach you? What do you do with a wound? Cover it, Anigo said. And he pulled the knife from his body and stuffed his left fist into the bleeding. Anigo's eyes began to focus again. Not well. Not perfectly. But enough to see the Count's blade as it approached his heart. And Anigo couldn't do much with the attack. Parry it vaguely, push the point of the blade into his left shoulder where it did no unendurable harm. Count Rugen was a bit surprised that his point had been deflected, but there was nothing wrong with piercing a helpless man's shoulder. There was no hurry when you had him. McPherson was screaming again. Spaniards. Remember to use the wall when you have one. Only you will forget to use a wall. 
Slowly, inch by inch, Anigo forced his body up the wall, using his legs just for pushing, letting the wall do all the supporting that was necessary. Count Rugen struck again, but for any number of reasons, most probably because he hadn't expected the other man's movement, he missed the heart and had to be content with driving his blade through the Spaniard's left arm. Anigo didn't mind. He didn't even feel it. His right arm was where his interest lay, and he squeezed the handle, and there was strength in his hand, enough to flick out at the enemy. And Count Rugen hadn't expected that either, so he gave a little involuntary cry and took a step back to reassess the situation. Power was flowing up from Inigo's heart to his right shoulder, and down from his shoulder to his fingers, and then into the great six-fingered sword, and he pushed off the wall then with a whispered, Hello. My name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And they crossed swords. The Count went for the quick kill. The inverse Benetti. No chance. Hello. My name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Again they cross, and the Count moved into a Morozo defense, because the blood was still streaming. Anigo shoved his fist deeper into himself. Hello, my name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. The Count retreated around the billiard table. Anigo slipped in his own blood. The Count continued to retreat, waiting, waiting. Hello, my name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. He dug with his fist and he didn't want to think what he was touching and pushing and holding into place. But for the first time he was able to try a move. He felt able to try a move. And so the six-fingered sword flashed forward. And there was a cut down one side of Count Rugen's cheek. Another flash. Another cut. Parallel. Bleeding. Hello. My name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! The Count was beginning to experience a decline in nerves. Anigo drove for the Count's left shoulder as the Count had wounded his. Then he went through the Count's left arm at the same spot the Count had penetrated his. Hello! Stronger now. Hello! Hello! My name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. No. Offer me money. Everything, the Count said. Power too. Promise me that. All I have and more. Please. Offer me anything I ask for. Yes. Yes. Say it. I want Domingo Montoya, you son of a bitch. And the six-finger sword flashed again. The Count screamed. <laughs> that was just to the left of your heart. Anigo struck again. Another scream. <laughs> that was below your heart. Can you guess what I'm doing? Cutting my heart out. You took mine when I was ten. I want yours now. We're lovers of justice, you and I. What can be more just than that? The Count screamed one final time and then fell dead of fear. Ah!
Inigo looked down at him. The Count's frozen face was petrified and ashen, and the blood still poured down the parallel cuts. His eyes bulged wide, full of horror and pain. It was glorious, if you like that kind of thing. Inigo loved it. It was 5.50 when he staggered from the room, heading he knew not where or for how long, but hoping only that whoever had been guiding him lately would not desert him now. I'm going to tell you something once, and then whether you die or not is strictly up to you, Wesley said, lying pleasantly on the bed. Across the room, the prince held the sword high. What I'm going to tell you is this. Drop your sword, and if you do, then I will leave with this baggage here, he glanced at Buttercup, and you will be tied up, but not fatally, and will soon be free to go about your business. And if you choose to fight, well then, we will not both leave alive. I expect to breathe a while, the prince said. I think you're bluffing. You've been a prisoner for months, and I myself killed you less than a day ago, so I doubt that you have much might left in your arm. Possibly true, Wesley agreed, and when the moment comes, remember that. I might, indeed, be bluffing. I could, in fact, be lying right here because I like the strength to stand. All that, weigh carefully. You are only alive now because you said, to the pain. I want that phrase explained. My pleasure. It was 5.52 now. Three minutes left. He thought he had 18. He took a long pause, then started speaking. Surely, you must have guessed I am no ordinary sailor. I am, in fact, Roberts himself. I am, in fact, not the least surprised or awed. To the pain means this. If we duel and you win, death for me. If we duel and I win, life for you, but life on my terms. Meaning, it could all be a trap. His body was at the ready. There are those who credit you with the skill of a hunter, though I find that doubtful. The prince smiled. The fellow was baiting him. Why? And if you hunt well, then surely when you tracked your lady, you must have begun at the cliffs of insanity. A duel was fought there, and if you noted the movements and the strides, you would know that those were masters battling. They were. Remember this. I won that fight. And I'm a pirate. We have our special tricks with swords. It was 5.53. I'm not unfamiliar with steel. The first thing you'll lose will be your feet, Wesley said. The left, then the right, below the ankle. You have stumps available to use within six months. Then your hands at the wrists. They heal somewhat quicker. Five months is a fair average. And now Wesley was beginning to be aware of strange changes in his body. And he began talking faster, faster and louder. Next your nose. No smell of dawn for you. Followed by your tongue. Deeply cut away. Not even a stump left. And then your left eye. And then my right eye and then my ears. And shall we get on with it? The prince said. It was 5.54. Wrong! Wesley's voice rang across the room. Your ears you keep, so that every shriek of every child is seeing your hideousness will be yours to cherish. Every babe that weeps in fear at your approach, every woman that cries, Dear God, what is that thing? will reverberate forever in your perfect ears. That is what to the pain means. It means that I leave you to live in anguish and humiliation and freakish misery until you can stand it no more. So there you have it, pig. There you know. 
you miserable, vomitous mass. And I say this now. And live or die, it's up to you. Drop your sword. The sword crashed to the floor. It was 5.55. Wesley's eyes rolled up into his head and his body crumpled and half pitched from the bed. And the prince saw that and went to the floor grabbing for his sword, standing, starting to bring it high. When Wesley cried out, now you will suffer to the pain. His eyes were open again, open and blazing. I'm sorry, I, I meant nothing. I, I didn't. Look. And the prince dropped his sword a second time. Tie him, Wesley said to Buttercup. Be quick about it. Use the curtain sashes. They look enough to hold him. You'd do it so much better, Buttercup replied. I'll get the sashes, but I really think you should do the actual tying. Woman, Wesley roared. You are the property of the Dread Pirate Roberts, and you do what you're told. Buttercup gathered the sashes and did what she could with tying up her husband. Humperdinck lay flat while she did it. He seemed strangely happy. I wasn't afraid of you, he said to Wesley. I dropped my sword because it'll be so much more pleasure for me to hunt you down. You think so, do you? I doubt you'll find us. I'll conquer Gilder and then I'll come for you. The corner you least expect, when you round it, you'll find me waiting. I'm the king of the sea. I await you with pleasure. He called out the buttercup. Is he tied yet? Sort of. There was movement at the doorway, and then Anigo was there. Buttercup cried out the pain. Anigo ignored her, looked around. Where's Fezzik? Isn't he with you? Wesley said. Anigo leaned for a moment against the nearest wall, gathering strength. Then he said, help him up to Buttercup. Wesley? Buttercup replied. Why does he need me to help him? Because he has no strength. Now do what you're told, Inigo said. And then suddenly on the floor, the prince began mightily struggling with the sashes and he was tied and tied well, but power and anger were both on his side. You were bluffing. I was right the first time, Humperdinck said. And Inigo said, that was not a clever thing for me to let slip. I'm sorry. And Wesley said, did you at least win your battle? And Inigo said, I did. And Wesley said, let us try to find some place to defend ourselves. At least perhaps we can go together. And Buttercup said, I'll help you up, poor darling. And Fezzik said, oh, Inigo, I need you. Please, Inigo, I'm lost and miserable and frightened, and I just need to see a friendly face. They moved slowly to the window. Wandering, lost, and forlorn through the prince's garden was Fezzik, leading the four giant whites. Here, Inigo whispered. Three friendly faces, Fezzik said, kind of bouncing up and down on his heels, which is what he always did when things were looking up. Oh, Inigo, I just ruined everything, and I, I got so lost, and when I stumbled into the stables and found these pretty horses, I thought four was how many of them there were, and four was how many of us there were, too. If we found the lady, hello, lady, and I thought, why not take them along with me in case we all ever run into each other? He stopped for a moment, considering. And I guess we did. Inigo was terribly excited. Fezzik, you thought for yourself, he said. Fezzik considered that a moment, too. Does that mean you're not mad at me for getting lost? If only we had a ladder, Buttercup began. Oh, you don't need a ladder to get down here, Fezzik said. It's only 20 feet. I'll catch you. Only do it one at a time, please. There's not enough light. So if you all come at once, I might miss. 
So while Humperdinck struggled, they jumped, one at a time, and Fetzer caught them gently and put them on the whites, and he still had the key so they could get out of the front gate. And except for the fact that Yellen had regrouped the brute squad, they would have gotten out without any trouble at all. As it was, when Fezzik unlocked the gate, they saw nothing but armed brutes in formation, yelling at their lead. And no one was smiling. Wesley shook his head. I'm dry of notions. Child's play, of all people, Buttercup said, as she led the group towards yelling. The Count is dead. The Prince is in grave danger. Hurry now, you may yet save him. All of you, go. Not a brute moved. They obey me, Yellen said, and I'm in charge of enforcement, and, and I, Buttercup said, I, she repeated, standing up in the saddle, a creature of infinite beauty and eyes that were starting to grow frightening. I, she said for the third and last time, am the queen. There was no doubting her sincerity, or power, or capability for vengeance. She stared imperiously across the brute squad. Save Humperdinck, one brute said, and with that they all dashed into the castle. Save Humperdinck, Yellen said, the last one left, but clearly his heart wasn't in it. Actually, that was something of a fib, Buttercup said as they began to ride for freedom. Seeing as how Lotharin hasn't officially resigned, but I thought I am the queen sounded better than I am the princess. All I can say is, I'm impressed, Wesley told her. Buttercup shrugged. I've been going to royalty school three years now. Something had to rub off. She looked at Wesley. You alright? I was worried about you back on the bed there. Your eyes rolled into your head and everything. I suppose I was dying again, so I asked the Lord of permanent affection for the strength to live this day. Clearly, the answer came in the affirmative. I didn't know there was such a fellow, Buttercup said. Neither did I, in truth. But if he didn't exist, I didn't much want to either. The four great horses seemed to almost fly towards Florin Channel. It appears to me as if we're doomed then, Buttercup said. Wesley looked at her. Doomed, madam? To be together, until one of us dies. I've done that already, and I haven't the slightest intention of ever doing it again, Wesley said. Buttercup looked at him. Don't we sort of have to sometime? Not if we promise that I'll live each other, and I make that promise now. Buttercup looked. Oh my, Wesley, so do I. And they lived happily ever after, my father said. Wow, I said. He looked at me. You're not pleased? No, no, it's just... It came so quick, the ending, it surprised me. I thought there'd be a little more is all. I mean... Was the pirate ship waiting, or was that just a rumor like it said? Complain to Mr. Morgenstern. And they lived happily ever after is how it ends. The truth was, my father was fibbing. And so was the movie, y'all. That's me. That's me, sorry. I spent my whole life thinking it ended that way. Up until I did this abridgment. Then I glanced at the last page. This is how Morgenstern ends it. Buttercup looked at him. Oh, my Wesley, so do I. From behind them suddenly, closer than they had imagined, they could hear the roar of Humperdinck. Stop them! Cut them off! They were admittedly startled, but there was no reason for worry. They were on the fastest horse in the kingdom, and the lead was already theirs. However, that was before Inigo's wound reopened, 
and Wesley relapsed again, and Fezzik took the wrong turn, and Buttercup's horse threw a shoe, and the night behind them was filled with the crescendoing sound of pursuit. The end. 916-633-1537 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter Ratchet Book Club on Facebook Leave a review on um, Spotify Leave a review on Podchaser Copy and paste that in the Apple Podcast And copy and paste that into the Good Pods app um, You could donate to the show at Patreon.com slash Single Simulcast or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast, or on the Good Pods app, you can leave a tip. Uh, all money goes towards buying books for this show, and movies for hindsight, and shows for the RTO Podcast Network. Thank you again for listening. I love this book so much. So much. Like, I hope you heard it. Please let your friends know about it. Um, I look forward to the next story. I'll talk to you later. Y'all be good. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you slipped.